This is the Gospel City Church podcast. Our hope is that this message is helpful, encouraging, and even life-changing as you grow to know the person and work of Jesus. Enjoy this message today. Today's message comes from Joshua chapter 4, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 8 and 15 to 24. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priests' feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God, into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up twelve stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. Continuing on in verse 15. And the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, Come up out of the Jordan. And when the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan, the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up on dry ground. The waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their father in times to come, What do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Amen. Amen. That's the word of the Lord. Today's sermon title is Look Back to Move Forward. And it sounds a little bit counterintuitive, right? The world will tell you if you want to make progress and move forward, you shouldn't look back and dwell on your past. And there's a little bit of truth to this, right? I look back on my high school days, and I kind of cringe at how awkward and immature and, and foolish I was. I see a couple of you smirking, and you probably resonate with this. I look back on my college days, and for me, they were particularly tough, so they don't necessarily bring back good memories. So I don't necessarily like to think about those times. There's no real value to looking back on these times in my life. And some people say, well, you can look back to learn, at your, learn from your mistakes so you don't make them again in the future. And there's validity to this argument as well. Today, we're going to learn that actually looking back to remember 
is something that God prescribes for us as Christians. And we're going to look at today's passage, and we're going to look at three different things um, that will teach us of how to remember. We're going to look at the struggle to remember, the stones to remember, and the Savior to remember. The struggle, the stones, and the Savior. So let's begin with the struggle. And first, for us to understand the struggle, we've got to take a moment and just kind of take a step back into chapter 3 and realize the significance of what just happened for the Israelites. Verse 1, if you look down, it says, When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan. The nation had finished passing over the Jordan. Remember, the Israelites, 400 years of slavery and oppression in Egypt. 40 years of wandering and sojourning through the desert. And now, under Joshua's leadership, they're at the brink of entering the land that God had promised their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. They're almost there. They could taste it. But between them and the promised land was the Jordan River. Now, Scripture tells us in chapter 3 that it was during the harvest time, which shows us that it was during springtime. And what happens during spring in the region is all the snow on the mountain caps began to melt and feed into the Jordan River. And on top of that, you have the spring rains coming down. So the Jordan River is not some gentle, calm river. It is a rushing torrent with its banks are overflowed. It's impossible to cross. For the Israelites to cross it by any earthly means would be certain death. Nothing short of an act of God would bring them into the promised land. But that is exactly what happens. God tells Joshua to command the priest to bring the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of God's presence, into the waters. So as soon as the priest stepped in, the waters were cut off. And the, and the nation of Israel crossed over on dry land. And to put icing on the cake, to make sure that no one would think, oh, maybe this was a fluke or this was, done, this was just luck. If we read in verse 18, this is what it says. And when the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan and the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. This wasn't luck. This wasn't just coincidence. The priests go into the water with the Ark of the Covenant. The waters are cut off. And the moment they step out, the waters come rushing back. It was a clear display that God's presence was with them, that it was God who stopped the water, and it was God who brought them into the promised land. It was huge, the huge moment in Israelites' histories. Imagine everything that's going on in their hearts and minds during this time. The joy, the excitement. And what is the first thing God tells them to do? Was it to go into Jericho and bring down the walls by walking around the city seven times? No. God would eventually tell them to do that. Was it how to divide the, the land of Canaan amongst the tribes? No, that will eventually come later. But the first thing God tells them to do is to build a memorial. Look down with me to verses 2, two and 3. Take 12 men from the people, from each tribe of man, and command them, saying, Take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Of all the things God could have told them to do, he tells them to build a memorial. And why is that? 
My wife and I celebrated our three-year anniversary last month, and uh, as we were looking back, thank you, as we were looking back on the occasion, I, I took the opportunity to look at wedding photos, and I realized that, you know, three years ago is not too far removed from now. It's not too long ago, but it's remarkable how much I was able to forget about that day. Not so much with my wife, but for me, you know, there's a lot that I forgot. And what do we do with these big events in our lives? We take pictures. We take pictures of birthdays, anniversaries, farewells, goodbyes, whatever the occasion, we take pictures because they help us remember, essentially because we were forgetful. And so I looked at these wedding photos, and it not only reminded me of specific things that happened that day, it reminded me of emotions and feelings that I had, expressions that I saw on people's faces, even the weather outside on that day, the smell of the chapel, all these, remember, the, this picture helped me remember all these things that I had forgotten. And if I asked you today, what did you do on your birthday three years ago? You'd be hard-pressed to remember. You might have a vague idea, but if you opened up your phone, looked through your photo album, and looked at the pictures you took on your birthday, all of a sudden, it would come rushing back, and you remember what you did on that day. And you know, we're forgetful as humans. It's just part of our condition. We struggle to remember the minor stuff and even the important stuff. And so we have things to help us remember. And that's why God told Israel to build a memorial. He knew their condition. He knows our condition. So he had them build a memorial to remember this incredible, momentous day. And this isn't the only instance of God using this idea of memorial and remembering things. He commands Israel to remember the Passover by remembering a certain day. He tells uh, the priest to design the ephod, a special garment for the priest, and put stones in it. And this is supposed to help you remember the tribes of Israel. After certain battles that God helped Israelites won, he tells them to build an altar or build something to help them remember that day where they had victory. Remembering is a motif used in Scripture by God to help his people because he knows we're forgetful. And if you take a moment and reflect on your own life, you realize you're not just forgetting the things that happen to us, but spiritually, we are also very forgetful people. In the face of hardship, fear, adversity, anxiety, relational struggles, career problems, whatever it is, it is we all have the potential to forget God and his promises. Worse yet, in the face of all these troubles, we forget about God himself. But it's not just the bad times. It's in the good times, too. When everything's going well, everything's going great at work, things are good with the family, and you're just content and satisfied with all the gifts God has given you, we have the chance, the opportunity sometimes, to forget the gift giver. And so God, knowing our weaknesses, knowing our frame. He gives us memorials, remembrances to remember who he is. He gives us stones to remember. Stones to remember. Verses 2 to 5, God tells Joshua to take 12 men, one from each tribe, and which is symbolizing the unity of the nation of Israel coming together in this amazing event. And each man is supposed to take this huge stone from the dry riverbed in the Jordan, put it on their shoulder, and bring it to camp. 
And let's look down uh, one time again at verses 8, 9, and 10, and we're going to read what God says. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. For the priests bearing the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people, according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. So verse 8 shows us that Joshua commanded the 12 men of the 12 tribes to carry these stones out, and it shows us that they obeyed. And then immediately in verse 9, it says that Joshua had set up stones. Now, this has been, has been a kind of a difficult uh, scripture to interpret for many scholars. Because of the way the Hebrew language is and the way they recount stories, sometimes there's chronological issues. And so people read this passage in two ways. Either one, Joshua made a second memorial in the riverbed with his own set of stones, or two, there's a chronological discrepancy, and this is referring to Joshua taking the 12 stones that had already been pulled out of the river and setting them up in their final resting place at Gilgad. Now, Whatever the case may be, we don't know for certain. But that's not the point of the passage. That's not the point that the author wants us to focus on. But rather, he wants us to know and understand the significance of the memorial, the significance, the purpose of these stones. So we got to ask ourselves, why the stones and who are they for? Verses 6, look down with me. That this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you should tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And jump ahead to verse 21. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you, should sh- you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. In verse 24, so that all the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So who are these stones for? They are for Israel and for their children and their children's children. It's for the generations to come. And what is the purpose of these stones? It's twofold. One, to be a reminder of God's great, mighty act of bringing them across the Jordan. It was a reminder of God's faithfulness to his people and his promises. And two, that they would look at this reminder and that they would fear the Lord. When the Bible describes fearing the Lord, it speaks of being in reverence of him. So the people would see this remem- the memorial and they would believe and worship God. It wouldn't be just, oh, cool, that's great, that happened that day 20 years ago. But they would look at this memorial and their hearts would be moved to love and devotion to God for what he has done. That is the purpose of the memorial. They were supposed to remind the people of God and his faithfulness. You can imagine, right, after the conquest of Canaan, 10, 15 years later down the road, an Israelite family 
they decide to go on vacation. So they get on their camels and they head down to the Jordan River to go fly fishing or whatever they did as a family for their vacations. And along the way, as they're on the camel, the son takes a moment from watching YouTube on his iPhone, puts it down, and asks his dad, Dad, what are those phones? What are, I mean, what are those stones? <laughs> what are those stones? And the father would have an opportunity to teach his child, son, years passed when we were entering the promised land, there was an impossibility in front of us. And the Lord, our God, he stopped the waters and he brought us into the promised land. And the father, as he tells the story to his child, he would be moved again to love and devotion to his God. And the child, as he hears his father tell him the story, he would learn about God and who he is and his love and faithfulness to his people. It was for God's people, he tells him, to, make, to build this memorial. It was not just for future generations, though. I mean, it was just not for future generations, but it was also for the current, present generation of Israel and their current circumstance. Crossing the Jordan was just the beginning. Yes, they had just entered the promised land, but it, everything wasn't just copacetic from there. It was an uphill battle. They went into the land, and now they would have to wage war against all these different peoples and conquer the land. They would embark on many challenges, and as they do, they would look upon this memorial and be strengthened and encouraged as they're reminded of God. These stones of remembrance will help strengthen and encourage God's people. Gospel City... Um, the places where we used to worship and where we currently worship right now could be considered stones of memorial. Here, Shinyongsan Church, and in the past, Hamilton Hotel. And the story goes like this. Six and a half years ago, our lead pastor, Pastor Joel, uh, had a vision uh, to plant a church here in Korea. And so they began with a small core launch group, worshiping together, having home church at Pastor Joel's house in November 2015. And they began to grow. And so they went out and looked for a space where they could meet together and gather. And they found one. It was an international school who opened their doors to them and let them borrow their facilities to worship there. And in January 24, 2016, Gospel City had its launching service in this international school. Praise God. But then immediately after, one Sunday, this international school tells them, you guys can't worship here anymore. We were without a home. Just launched, just started this church, and already without a home after this first service. And so Pastor Joel and one of the members, they go up and down, all of Itaewon, trying to find a place where they could gather, a place that was affordable, a place that was big enough for their group at that time. And there was nothing that was viable until they stumbled into the Hamilton Hotel. And so they meet with the manager of the space at the Hamilton Hotel, and they begin to explain to him the vision and the heart behind Gospel City. That Gospel City was planted not just to make an English, a healthy, gospel-centered, English-speaking church, but it had the vision of eventually planting healthy, gospel-centered Korean churches as well. Gospel City was planted with this vision to bless the nation of, this, of Korea. And this manager, who was not a Christian, by the way, 
was moved by this story. Pastor Joel said he had a tear come down his eye. I don't know if that was true. But he was moved by the story, and he offered to rent this space out to Gospel City. Now, this was a big thing. This manager, Sunday's his day off. By agreeing to rent this space out, that means he had to come every Sunday morning to open it up for them. And not only that, we got the place at an incredibly fair price, and Gospel City was launched there at Hamilton Hotel. Fast forward four and a half years later, Seoul is in the thick of the pandemic. Businesses, restaurants, hotels, they're all shutting down because of outbreaks. And so Hamilton Hotel, for fear of what might happen if we gather there, for fear of possible legal issues that might arise if there's a COVID outbreak, they ask us to leave. Gospel City, again, is without a home. Now, it was just around that time that I was in talks with Pastor Joel about coming to join the pastoral staff here at Gospel City, and I believe it was maybe just our second or third meeting. We were at Starbucks across the way, because, um, you know, no, no church, no office, nothing. Uh, and so we're meeting at Starbucks, and we're talking, and Pastor Joel throws it out to me, hey, um, there's a small church, Shinyongsan, there, back then it was across the street in another building. He's like, do you know about this church? I hear they're moving into this new building where we are right now, and it's being constructed. So I was wondering about their old building. I was wondering if we could go in there and if we could worship. And to which I replied, oh, yeah, not only do I know the church, I know the lead pastor personally. I have his cell phone number in my cell phone right now. I had a relationship where I could call him and just set up a meeting. You know, cold calling churches and asking to use their space it's not going to go well. But if you have a relationship, it's so much easier. So I called the pastor, and we set up a meeting. And this is how it happened. I call. I set up the meeting. A couple days later, Hamilton calls. They tell us, yeah, you guys can't worship here anymore. And a few days later, we have that scheduled meeting with Shin san and they invite us to come and worship here in this beautiful space. God's provision, God's faithfulness, His goodness to Gospel City, this space here can be a memorial stone for us. The Hamilton was a memorial stone in the past. And if you've been to Gospel City 101, we have a packet that goes over our beliefs, our history, uh, our vision, everything. And in that packet, we, may, we intentionally put these dates down. And we intentionally tell these stories of how God provided for Gospel City because it moves our hearts to love and devotion to God. It reminds, of us, reminds us of his faithfulness and his goodness. And as we move forward in the future, there will be challenges. There will be, there is, the future is unknown. We don't know what to expect. But when we face those times, we can look back at these stones, at these memorials, and be reassured and strengthened that God is good, that God has a plan for us, and that he is with us. Now, that's Gospel City's memorial stones. I want to ask you today, what are your memorial stones? What are the ways in which God so clearly and wonderfully has worked in your life? Maybe it was a job promotion. Maybe it was how he guided and directed your steps here to Korea. Maybe it's how you're sitting here today, breathing and alive. Perhaps it's the day that Jesus became so real in your life where you tasted that bitter darkness of your sin, 
But at the same time, you tasted the beauty and sweetness and goodness of God's love and faithfulness for you. These stories of your journey and your walk of faith with God, they're filled with memorial stones. Write them down. Remember them. Find a way to tell these stories to your neighbors, to your family, to your children. Go back to them from time to time so that when you move forward in times of difficulty and darkness where it might seem God is silent, where it might, be, might seem like God is distant, you'll remember that he is with you and that his promises always remain true. What are your memories, uh, your memorial stones? Now, we all have our individual stones of remembrance specific to our individual lives. But we also have a memorial stone that is in common to every single person in this room. And that is Jesus' work on the cross. And so we're going to finish looking at a Savior to remember. Look down with me in your Bibles to verse 19. The people came out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they camped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Now, we mentioned earlier that remembrance, God telling his people to remember, is a motif we commonly find in Scripture. Right, the Passover, the ephod, different victories and battles and war. But there's something unique about today's passage, about the events that happened at the Jordan River that are particularly unique. And what makes it so unique is that it was a miraculous display of God's might and power. It's not something that just happened every Tuesday or even every year. It was a unique display of God's power for his People. And if you look down at 23, it says, For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea. The Red Sea makes an appearance in this passage. Now, they share similarities in that, yes, they're both bodies of water that God helped the people of Israel cross. But more than that, they were both unique displays of God's salvific power for his people. They were extraordinary events, miraculous events, where God saved his people. And if you look further into verse 19, it'll tell us that it was the 10th day of the first month. Now, this is in here specifically to show the reader that this is the same date. The date that they crossed over the Jordan was the same date that the Israelites, back in the Exodus, they were to select the Passover lamb that was to be slaughtered. Again, tying today's events to the Exodus. So what does this all mean? God showing his salvific power and bringing the Israelites out of Egypt, again showing his power at the Jordan. They were unique and powerful, but they were eventually used to point us to a greater event. 
they're used as shadows and types to show us God's salvific power at the cross. As God's people, we were under the bondage and oppression of sin, utterly helpless to help ourselves, unable to get to God. We were facing certain death for the penalty of our sins. And Jesus Christ, in the greatest, most unique saving act in all of history, he goes to the cross and dies for his people. He takes on the full wrath of God, the penalty of our sins, and so that we could cross the chasm that separated us from God. And before he did this, he sat down and gave the disciples instructions on how to remember him. Paul echoes these instructions given to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I have received from the Lord what I have delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and we had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The Lord's Supper is our stone of remembrance as Christ's body. As we gather together in unity, just as the 12 tribes came together to carry those stones in unity, we gather together on Sundays and we take the Lord's Supper to remember what Christ has done for us. The greatest most significant salvific act of God in history, much greater than the Red Sea, much greater than the Jordan. The cross saved God's people once and for all. And so what does this mean? What does communion do for us? Israelites crossed over the Jordan, and like I said, the journey had just begun for them. They had crossed the Jordan, but now they needed to conquer the land. They need to go to this area to defeat these people, go to that area to defeat these people. And so Joshua, as he was leading the Israelites to these different battles, after victories, and sometimes even during the battles, and after losses, Joshua would would come back to Gilgal, and he would see the stones of remembrance, and God would meet him there. He would remember God's faithfulness to his people and his promises. God would give him wisdom and strength and courage as he kept going out to fight. These stones of remembrance were a physical reminder of God and his promises. It was something that Joshua could see, he could touch, and he could experience to strengthen him as he moved forward. And this is what the Lord's Supper does for us. As we journey through our lives in this walk of faith, there will be many battles. There will be victories. There will be ups, but there will also be downs. There will be setbacks. There will be losses and disappointments. But through it all, because God knows our frame and he knows our our tendency to forget, he gives us a physical remembrance of the gospel to encourage us. We not only hear the gospel and are moved to believe and live for God, we are also given a physical supper, a physical act 
to help encourage and strengthen us in our journeys. John Piper says, The purpose of the Lord's Supper is to receive from Christ the nourishment and strength and hope and joy that come from feasting our souls and all that, on all that he purchased for us on the cross, especially his own fellowship. We are nourished and strengthened with hope, joy, with peace from taking part of this physical act of the Lord's Supper. Let us not neglect to gather together on Sundays to worship God, to hear from him, and to take the Lord's Supper to encourage us on our journey. Because looking back at what Christ has done on that cross is what strengthens us as we move forward. Let's pray. If you've been blessed through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. Gospel City is a gospel-centered church in Seoul, South Korea, on a mission to plant Korean-speaking, healthy, gospel-centered churches. You can give by going to the website give.thegospelcity.org. Thank you for listening, and subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Remember, Jesus changes everything.